Discover a life-giving local church where you'll find the community and support you've been looking for. Oh, at Echo, we hope you'll find your place, your people, and your purpose. One, two, three. Experiencing a true sense of belonging while building friendships and finding support. Mm. We believe that this is what we're all seeking and we cannot wait to share it with all of you. Join us for our services at Mayo High School on mm. Sundays at either 9.15 or 10.45. We're eager to meet you and extend a warm welcome to the Echo Church family. Oh, welcome. We would love to meet you. Oh, we would love it. For those of you, for those who wish to partner with us financially to impact Rochester locally and the world globally, we have two convenient giving options today. First, visit our website where you can set up automatic recurring donations, allowing us to plan boldly and confidently for the future. Second, you can easily send your contribution via Venmo to at We Are The Echo Church. We appreciate your kind and thoughtful investments. Enjoy, Enjoy Echo, Echo Online, Online service. service. So here's the question I have for you. Why are you here? Why'd you come? Why'd you come this morning? Did you get dragged here because your parents made you come? Fair. Did you come because this is what you always do every single Sunday since you were like born? Maybe you came here because you were like, oh, thank God, free childcare. Fair. There. Maybe you heard that if you're new here and you turn in a card, you get a free coffee gift card. Fair. <laughs> but I think the bigger question is really, why are you here? I think so often we show up in spaces and we, and we just kind of do stuff. And often we don't really even know why we do stuff. We just kind of do it. And even in do it, we don't even know how we are actually showing up in a space. Like, when was the last time you actually asked yourself, hey, how am I showing up in this space? Not only what do I want from God, what do I want from me, how am I feeling about this space? Church brings up a lot of stuff, let's just be honest. For some of us, we're triggered. And the only reason why we're here is because our spouse made us come. Or we care about our kids. So we'll give them a good experience, but we're just waiting for lunch. Do you know what I mean? And I think the important question is to ask yourself, in all honesty, why am I here? And if I'm going to be here, what do I want from this? What does it look like to show up honestly? So I'm going to ask you to do something, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. You can bow your head if you want. And the only reason why I'm asking you to close your eyes is because I just don't want you to be distracted. And this means you dudes, too. We want you to, you know, get a little bit in the feels. How are you showing up here? Maybe there's a mix of emotions. Maybe there's anger. Anger at God. Anger at your life circumstance, but you were raised not to really engage anger, so you're kind of, you're really angry, but you're just kind of showing up kind of angry. Maybe you feel really disconnected from God, and you know you're not supposed to feel that way, so... You just keep faking it. Maybe you're having a really hard time believing. Maybe you're so excited, you just came to know Jesus and this is all so new and you're so excited and you're just desperate to learn what it means to actually be in relationship with Jesus outside of just doing stuff for Jesus. However we find you, none of it's wrong. It's honest. 
And if the truth sets you free, then you have to tell the truth. And if you get nothing out of this message today, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, solely for the purpose of being honest with yourself, just you and God, tractor beam right now, just you and God, how are you really? Why did you come today? And in how you came or why you came, what if you actually said, this is where I'm really at? Do you even want to meet me here, God? Because I think we just need to start with an even playing field. That for probably statistically half the room, we just come because that's what we do. And that's not for condemnation. It's actually for invitation. Because I truly believe that every person in this room, whether they would admit it or not, wants more for their life. They want more, God. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come this morning. Meet us in the honest, fragile, crazy, angry, despondent, dissociative, suicidal, all the places, overjoyed places of our hearts. Because you've never asked us to keep from you what is true, ever. And so, God, this morning, would you meet us in the honest places of our hearts as we journey together to discover what it is you want to say? It's one hour on a Sunday morning that if we're honest and bring our true hearts to you, could actually change the trajectory of our life. Let's give you a whirl. In Jesus' name, amen. It's such an honor to be with you guys today. I have got to be, I just realized this, um, for some of you that don't know me, uh, I, I have come and preached here quite a few times. I have been now at three locations, <laughs> which is cool. Been at one school, it was a little crazy at that school place, I don't really know. And then we were at this cool, like, hipstery, like, castle-y place. I was like, oh, this is really, we're cool. And now we're here. That holds a lot of people, and we're so thankful. And, and, and I, I, I got to come here. And right now in my season of life, I'm saying no to quite a bit. I have a junior high daughter. Well, I have, a lot, I have three kids. Feels like I have 12, but I have three. An 18-year-old son, a 16-year-old son, and a 12-year-old daughter. My boys, they're good. My daughter, eh, she's okay. She's 12 and in seventh grade. And if you remember, or maybe you're in it, whoa, so hard. Just, can we skip it? Can we just skip junior high? The answer is no. <laughs> and so she needs me home. But when the call came to come here, it was an absolute yes. Because I love being in spaces where there are people that are willing to talk about things honestly to provide space for people who are really hurting. And I know every church is supposed to do that, but let's be honest, it doesn't always happen. And I have got the privilege of walking so many of you through some of my trainings, which are hard trainings, about what does it mean to hold the human heart. So it was an easy yes. 
You see, I will partner with anyone that is on a quest. A quest. I am a product of the 80s. Anybody else? Yes. And in the 80s, we got this newfangled thing after Atari. We got Nintendo. And Nintendo had two games that I was obsessed with which probably speaks to my social class, but either way, I was obsessed with these two games. I was obsessed with Mario Brothers. Anybody? Yeah, okay, thanks. I'm a recovering Baptist, so we respond, okay? <laughs> I'm also a recovering Pentecostal, so if there's a flag, you're good. And then The Legends of Zelda. Anybody know The Legends of Zelda? Okay, the nerds unite, yes! The Super Mario Brothers was the cool one, but The Legends of Zelda was like, whoa, bro. Like, that's like next level nerd level, and I was here for it. And me and my friend George Broughton would play Legends of Zelda all the time. We would go separately and like play at home, and this was before, you know, our parents understood like screen time. Like, they didn't even know, they were just like, yeah, play screens all day. Oh, they didn't care. Now we're like, we were on every limit. I mean, this was back in the day when like parents had babies and then smoked cigarettes in the hospital, like the doctor was like, wanna light one up? And they're like, yeah, I need a ciggy after that one. I mean, this is back in the day. There was literally no care for us. They were like, come back when the street lights come on. There was no care for us. So I just played video games all day. And my parents were like, well, she must be getting smarter because you know, that's probably, there's probably math in that. You know, I don't they didn't know. <laughs> and we would go separately, George and I, and then we'd come together and we would talk about like, hey man, like I did, it's like up, down, up, down, A, B, A, B, and it would be like a secret passageway. You know what I'm saying? And we were like, I mean, we were so in it together. I couldn't wait to get home from school, finish my homework, go over to George's house, George come over to my house, talk about what we learned, and continue to find our way to the end. The Legends of Zelda. It was this awesome quest. And it took us a really long time because The Legends of Zelda was a hard game. And we got to the end, and it was like this moment of like, we did it. We accomplished. The Legends of Zelda. And then when it was over, it was like, now what do we do? Like, we could have gone back and played, but it just, it just didn't have the luster anymore. It just was kind of like, eh, let's on to something else. And there was nothing, in my opinion, that has ever beat for me the thrill I got from The Legends of Zelda. My kids now play a lot of video games, bless their hearts, for like an hour and a half because there's so many restrictions. <laughs> They're like, Oh, it's shut off, mom! I'm like, you're done, your brain's melting. <laughs> but they wanna play games that have a quest in it, that have something that's bonding them to the other person. And here's what I learned. When we were done with the game, George and I, that was not our connection point. Our connection point was truly about us being on this journey together, us discovering what it meant to quest, find doors, and try to accomplish levels, and die after die after die until we finally did it. And we would high five, and we'd be on to the next, and we were so in it together. And although we finished it together, what we cared about in the game was not so much the arrival or the finish, it was really the journey together to experience what it meant to really try to figure this out. And I think about you guys as a church and the journey that you've been on, this quest really, 
for all of us. I think about all of our forefathers, these kind of Bedouin desert forefathers that left their places and found themselves sojourning through the deserts and the wilderness to find God and his presence, setting up tents, putting up speakers so that they could be in the presence of God. And they wanted to find other sojourners. And what bonded them together was not about the arrival, it was truly about the being together, right? The the experience of what it meant to actually wrestle through. And if we really look at scripture, this is just a bunch of knuckleheads trying to figure it out on this journey, being summoned away from their man-made structures, the kingdoms in which they grew up in, the religious structures in which they knew, and God summoned them. Summoned them to a journey, summoned them to a quest. And I know something about a quest. Growing up in the church, sat in the front row, many of you know my story. My dad's a pastor, has been since literally the day I was born and before. I think I was a week old and I was in church. That's how we rolled. Mom played the egg shaker, radical Baptist, wild, even a triangle was involved. It's pretty crazy. And and as many of you know, like, that was our experience on Sunday mornings, but our experience during the week was much more about my mom's eating disorder and her mental illness and my father, who did not know how to deal with what was going on in our home. And like every good Christian, we ignore those things even when the ship is on fire and burning and you just do for the kingdom. And so our family begin to get sacrificed on the altar of ministry. We're falling apart at the seams, but God's got it. Egg shaker on Sunday. My mom had copious notes in her Bible. She's on a quest to figure out how to heal what's inside, but after her suicide, I found her Bible and all of her notes, but I also found her journal. You see, the journal that told the truth. The truth about her quest, the truth about her longing, the truth about her heartache. The truth about her quest to try to figure out there's got to be more. This enraged me so much as a kid because I saw that something was wrong, the inconsistency, this doesn't match up, and I wanted to just burn the place down because I was so enraged. But after going through addiction and so many things coming back and trying to figure out, I'm either going to do drugs or I'm going to die, so I chose to live, kind of. Stopped doing drugs, but still was looking for this free and fully alive life. Because that's what I heard about. I knew all the scriptures. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come so that you would have life to the full, abundantly. And if I'm being really honest, I was like, what does that even mean? What does that look like, and how do you get it? And I just began to search Search and search and search. Drugs numbed me, but now my quest was to find this. I wanted to find the holy grail of what it meant to experience on this side of heaven, not so much the justification. I knew I was saved. I knew that, and I knew one day when I stand before God that from what he says, I'm gonna be glorified. But this messy middle of sanctification was really tough for me. Because I think in my head, I thought it meant the absence of pain. 
Like, one day I'm gonna arrive. One day we're gonna play all the game, and then all of a sudden the game's just gonna be done, and, and I'm gonna be good. And I wanted to skip A, B, A, B, A, B, you know, up, down, up, down, and skip all of the things to just get to the end, and that's what I thought, and so that was my quest. And because I didn't find friendly faces in the church, or the ones that would be honest about what was really going on, I looked for it in other places. Buddhism was fun for a while, but uh, I talked too much, apparently. So when we're sitting there and I'm like, bro, this is crazy, right? And they're like, tr- tr- don't, don't, I was like, oh, we don't, we don't talk here, okay, got it. <laughs> I'm gonna need to go. <laughs> Hinduism, asked, I mean, literally lasted for half of the service. I was like, yeah, there's way too much. I can't, I can't live up. Mormonism, though, that was a good one. Honestly, like I got to meet a guy at a dance. Baptist didn't dance. So I was like, yes, this must be really great. Dance, met a guy, he was hot. Took me to some of his classes. There's like classes that you take. And I was like, sweet, I could do the classes. He's gonna think I'm amazing because I'm smart in the Bible. And then it took a turn because I was like, um, you guys are talking about the angel of light, speaking to Joseph Smith. The angel of light in the Bible is the devil, so how are you guys adjusting with that? And on the break, no joke, two elders said, hey, we're gonna ask you to leave, and walked me to my car, said, if you have any more questions, we'll come to your house. I was like, and that guy, I think we're still together. We never broke up, actually. He never called me. We're still dating. We're still dating. I'm gonna need to tell my husband, my relationship status complicated. You know what I'm saying? But I, 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 was just, I was just searching. And I think we all are, and I think we're all being honest. I think in our heads, we wanna complete the game. We wanna find the end, this side of heaven, and we want to avoid all the levels that we're supposed to go through because underneath everything that I was encouraging was like an undercurrent of sorrow. But I was told, seemingly taught, maybe subconsciously or consciously, that sorrow was not really what we're supposed to engage, maybe for a minute, but to be honest with you, God's got it. God works good for all things for those who are in Christ Jesus. So every time I'm experiencing sorrow, I'm thinking I must be on the wrong path. And as I began to search in scripture, I don't have this for you on the screen, but God was speaking in the Old Testament, and he was speaking through Jeremiah to his people. And something stood out to me in Jeremiah 8, and he's basically calling out the leaders of this day. And he says to them in Jeremiah 8, he begins to say, listen guys, you have treated the brokenness of my dear people superficially, claiming peace, peace where there is no peace. You are holding the brokenness of my dear people superficially and saying there's peace when there is no peace. No other scripture had ever spoken to me like this because I was trying so hard for peace and rest on this quest and people in the church that I was going to were like, peace, peace, God's got it, he's good, just throw it up to him, just give it to him. And I'm like, I don't feel peace. My mom is not here. My dad is gone. Ministry. I'm struggling. I'm trying to figure this out. And you're binding up my wounds superficially and telling me peace. But there is no peace. 
And I began to go, God, if you are an alive God and you care about the wounds of your people and you are angry with the powers that be that are covering up their wounds superficially, yelling out peace, peace where there is no peace, then where are you in my brokenness? I want to live free, but I also want to live fully alive. I began to read in scripture about Paul. We love Paul. Evangelicals love Paul. We love Paul. But Paul is aching. If you really read the scriptures, you hear his loneliness, you hear his ache, you hear his longing to want to be with God and not have to be here anymore, but knows that there's people that need care. He is alone so much, aching about all that he has endured, and yet. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, it begins like this. As Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he begins to share with them the complexities of what it means to live this life. He says, so now listen, we have this treasure in clay jars. Right? We've heard that before. There's like a band about it or something. But now we have this treasure. What is the treasure? The Spirit of God that's living inside a clay jar. Clay jars, us, broken, fragile. Clay is easily broken. It's so fragile. And he goes, I'm going to put all of my power, God says, in this clay jar, in you. He says, so now we have this treasure that's in clay jars, so fragile, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Nothing you can do is going to make that clay jar any different than what it is. It will never stop being a clay jar. No matter what you do, it will always be fragile. And yet it will always house in some way the bigness and the deity of God. So then it says here, and this is what really struck me, you guys, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We are always carrying the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be also displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may be also displayed in our mortal flesh. So then... Death is at work in us, but also life. And I began to read this scripture, and I go, wow, I actually feel afflicted, but I also feel crushed. I feel perplexed, and I feel despair. I feel persecuted, and to be honest with you, I feel abandoned by my church, by my family, by God. I, I know what it means to be struck down, and I feel destroyed, and I am carrying the death in my body, but I don't feel the life. What am I missing? How can Paul give me this scripture, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, how did Paul, what's his secret? How did he figure this out? How can he say this and have this? And as I began to wrestle this out, the Holy Spirit, and I truly believe that he began to say, no, Carrie, you're not listening. He's naming what is true. You see, he's naming his affliction. He's not avoiding it. 
He's naming his perplexed heart. He's not minimizing it. He's talking about his persecution and he's inviting me into his struck down presence. And as I began to listen, I'm like, wait a minute. You mean a fully alive life means that I actually have to be fully alive to my life? You mean I can't eradicate, minimize, sever parts of me so that I can kill it for the kingdom and become this really great soldier in the Lord's army? Yes, sir. I was floored because I had all of these feelings. I was angry at God. Why didn't you let her live? I was angry at God. Why didn't anyone see that we were broken? I was angry at God as I walked away from the man-made kingdom of spirituality and laser light shows and big screen TVs and found myself in a Bedouin, a Bedouin desert wanderer, my family even was like, no. Abandoned feels true. Rejected feels true. Struck down feels true. And yet somehow, Paul is saying, It is here that when I taste the death and name the death, somehow, supernaturally, I then get life. What? What I began to realize is God has never asked us to eradicate any parts of us, to bring all of it. Well, wait a minute, Carrie, what about our sinful flesh? I think our sinful flesh comes when we're not being honest about what we're hurting about. So we look for counterfeit behavior modifications to try to ease, mitigate the shame and the pain so that we don't have to feel it. And then we find ourselves looking at things we shouldn't look at, doing things we shouldn't do. And we go, our flesh is terrible. I need to beat up my flesh and then become a better Christian. And I'm going, wait a minute. The flesh is the outcome of a heart that has not been tended to. A heart that's not been felt and known and seen in the complexity and the heartache of its fragile casing. There's a couple of things I wanna offer to you here. When Paul doesn't reject, minimize, avoid parts of his experience, but rather actually enters into his human suffering, he actually begins the partnership with God. It is when he's eradicating and severing that the partnership with God can't actually happen. You think that we have an epidemic on our hands of all of our young people struggling with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation at an all-time high because we're giving them space to share what they're having to endure? No. We, We don't want to engage those things. We just want good kids. We just want to be good people. And we come into these spaces, again, not for condemnation, but truly for invitation, and we think that a Sunday morning check the box is going to heal us. It's not. This is just another behavior modification if you're not seeing it as an invitation to get more honest about where you are. And so I encourage all of you to take a listen. What does being honest about our circumstances, our heartache, actually do for us? And because I'm a good pastor, I have five things, and they all start with I. I was really proud of myself. This is very rare. So we're all moment, I mean, I feel like I am such a good pastor. (laughs) Really quickly, for the sake of time, 
When we get honest about what's going on, it interrupts us. It interrupts, it disrupts what has been dormant, what has been pushed down. I met with a woman the other day on the phone and she's weeping on the phone. And I just kept saying, wail, woman, wail. And she tries to start me, well, I just, no, no. Wail, woman, wail. Because you have stuffed everything in the basement. I've got it, I'll handle it, it's gonna be okay. And you just keep opening the door and shoving it down and now you can't close the door anymore. Wail, woman. And it begins to disrupt what has been buried. And all of us have basements where heartache has been buried because there wasn't a parent to hold your tears. There wasn't a teacher to hold your gaze. There wasn't a friend that really sat with you in the heartache. So you stuffed. You did more. Maybe you did nothing. Maybe you medicated. Maybe you numbed. Maybe you achieved whatever it is. When we actually get honest, it interrupts and disrupts what has been dormant, brings it to the surface, which allows us then to actually invite. It invites us to ask for help from God and from others. None of you, none of you are going to heal with your journal, your coffee, a, a, a good scripture, and a beautiful view out your window. You, you won't heal that way. You weren't wired for it. You know how you were wired to heal? In community. You need each other. You need God and you need each other, but man, that's hard, right? We've been really burned by people. And so we just go, you know what, it's easier. We'll just keep it, I'll, me and God, I got a really pretty journal, we're gonna go. It's going to be great. And when the lights are out and no one's around, you and I both know that basement echoes heartache. When we invite God into those places to sit with us, to get honest with us, it allows for intimacy. It allows for intimacy, which is this closeness, this tending to, this uh, dependence upon. It's to truly be seen and known by God and by others, which is terrifying, and actually you're like this. Go away, please come closer. Go away, please come closer. All of you. Dudes in here, women in here, young people in here, every, babies. I don't want you. Please help me. Change my diaper. Get away from me. It's all of us. Because we need and are wired for closeness. And let me tell you something. George and I did not have a great experience because we actually completed the program to get the, the game together. Where we bonded was in the hard. Where we moved and were excited and was like, oh, frustrated. And I know I'm talking about a game, but here's life. And where we actually meet each other is not in the small group where we're worried about getting through one through seven and someone sharing their heart and they're like, that's really good, but also number five. So we can move that along. That's, that's not how we bond. And you find out you've been in a small group for 20 years and then all of a sudden George and Sally are getting divorced and you didn't even know there was a problem. But you got through one through seven every week. Yes. Who cares? Who cares? If you get through all your Bible study answers and you never actually let the Bible be a, sol a salve to your broken heart, it's for nothing. It's behavior. And God wants heart transformation. 
He wants you to live a free and fully alive life, awakened to all the complexities. And it's here in that intimacy where you're loved and you're found, where you begin to do immeasurable things, which gives you the ability to go far beyond what you could actually ever think. And I don't have time, but Andy and I had a big discussion about cold plunging. And I got in, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. like, I was like, I'm dying. Literally, I'm dying. My feet are falling. How were my feet burning and I was in cold water? It's an enigma. An enigma. And I began to realize as I breathe, and I was with a friend that didn't, she's like looking at me. She's like, I got you. We're in this together. And I'm like, I'm going to die. She's like, I won't let you die. I mean, it was very dramatic. <laughs> and I was like, all of a sudden, my body started to rest. I started to realize I can actually do this. And then it's not the avoidance of the suffering that's going to heal me. It's actually the avoidance of the suffering that's actually going to drown me. And when this happens and you start to begin to do immeasurable things, it begins to ignite this holy discontent inside of you. You start to see, wait a minute, I will not see the sin before I see the story. I want to sit with people. I want to offer what I've been given. And something beautiful begins to happen. A hell no, not on my watch. Will I continue to ha- let this happen on the land? God, I want to partner with you in the honest places of my heart. And you journey into the wilderness and you find you aren't alone. You find other sojourners, those that are on a quest, that have been summoned by God for something greater and something bigger, who said, I will not settle for what this world says is godly encounter through behavior modification, but I want heart transformation in the desert places of my heart. I want to see God. I want to feel God. I want to taste God. I want to smell God. I want to hear God. I want it all. And you'll want that for others. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we will not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, both inside us and in the heavens. That's where we'll put our focus. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen will bring you to eternity. This is not just to seek the face of God. This is also the unseen parts of your story that need to see the light of day, where the basement has been ruling your life and the invitation is to open the door. I didn't write this book, Free and Fully Alive, really for you, I wrote it for me. (laughs) Because I sat where you sat, years. I knew about an abundant life, I heard about it, I knew all the scripture, dad had a theology, theology degree, doctorate in theology, I know scripture, and I was not, and I was not fully alive. How? How do I begin? It was through connection to myself, but didn't in there. It was connection to God through invitation into the 
basement of my heart, the true places of my story, and it was invitation and connection with others that witnessed my pain, that saw it and did not turn their gaze, that said, I see you and I know you, and although it's hard and I don't know how to fix it, I'm not leaving. It was in that place that I actually began to feel fully alive. You see, it's not the eradicating, the severing of parts of you that's going to get you to the fully alive life. It is all of you. Not edited, unscripted, just honest. That is where you'll find Jesus. And here's the thing. The whisper of the enemy says, when you go there, it's going to drown you. Just keep going. Just keep doing if they knew what you were really thinking or how you really felt, they wouldn't want to be around you. You'd be kicked out of the kingdom. Let me tell you something. Welcome, friend. We've been waiting for you. The tents are set up. Yes, it's a desert, but you don't desert alone. The wilderness is not as lonely as what has been said. It is a wellspring of God's presence. And we ask you to come. Bring your anxiety. Bring your depression, bring your broken marriage, bring the stuff you're looking at that you shouldn't be looking at, bring the pills, bring it all. Bring the doubt and the disbelief, bring it all. We can handle it. Because God hears you, knows you, and sees you. He can handle it. You will not drown by engaging the basement, but by not engaging the basement, the, the basement will drown you. You want a fully alive life? You want abundance? You want to know what it's talking about? Get honest. Stop faking it. Come to church and say, I want more. Sit with someone and say, I've been lying. I need to tell the truth. I'm really struggling. And if someone comes to you and say that, please don't try to fix them. I was going to read a portion, but I don't have time. But I, I want to tell you, please don't try to fix them. You can't. Don't give them a padded scripture or a, oh, let's just stop and pray. I love scripture and I love prayer. Just listen. Just listen. And let... God, do the work. Welcome the sojourners and the quest. Welcome the people that are dusty, that have decided to leave the man-made structures of what they grew up in or what they know or what feels comfortable, and they've put on their backpack, and they've began to look for something more. The illusion is that the desert is alone, and here's the secret. I think it's actually Eden that you will discover where shalom is present and in your vulnerability and all your nakedness, you are seen and loved. That's a fully alive life. Jesus, we thank you, God, for the ability to be able to come honestly, that you've never asked anything less of us, but our whole heart. We don't have to edit it. We don't have to fake it. We just get to bring it. God, I pray specifically right now for the men in this room that have been taught that real men shove it down and just provide. It's a lie from the pit of hell. They are made in your image. There are heartaches they hold. And if they want to be the fathers and the leaders of the city, community, and of their families, their heart must be tended to first because we cannot take others farther than we're willing to even go ourselves. And I pray for the women, God 
who feel such a resistance to let their heart be seen because they've been so burned by other women. May this place be a tented refuge, a tribe, if you will, of people that say, it's not too big, we don't know how to fix it, but let's seek God together. Tell me more. It's here, God, where although we are not okay, and although we're welcomed and are not okay in our fear, we actually don't have to stay that way. In Jesus' name, amen.